0: The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, congratulations, first of all, on the years of the show running, you know, with Kim's Convenient and now Run the Burbs and i know that you are uh there's a plan to release here in the us with run the burp so congratulations on all this great work
1: thank you thank you it's 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 uh it's exciting reconnecting to with the uh with the american community because they were um so supportive of of, of kim's convenience i remember coming out there and and it just like blowing up and it was the summer of asians as they dubbed it because uh, it was Crazy Rich Asians, and then Kim's Convenience came to Netflix in the U.S. and it just popped. It's a perfect and so, timing, right? Yeah, it was perfect timing. I just I love that two projects is the summer of Asian um, mm-hmm. Asians, and so um, it's been a joy making this show, and people have been so excited to see it. Which is like people are just excited to see it, but especially the Vietnamese community, because I I can't name another. Sh- sitcom that is centered around a Vietnamese family and then a Vietnamese South Asian family right and so I'm so excited to bring this show to the US it's coming to the CW um, starting at the end of July on Mondays and I'm just I'm just it's it's a wild moment to think that they're going to turn on the TV and watch a Vietnamese family doing their thing in the suburbs It's
0: crazy it's amazing I'm I'm so proud of, of what you've done you know well let's take it back when did you discover that you were funny?
1: I don't know if I ever, like, I don't know if I, I, oh, that's tough. I think it was probably with big family gatherings. And so if we'd be celebrating a date or like, um like a birthday, someone's birthday. There'd be like big family gatherings. And so on my mom's side, she has 13 siblings. Wow. So you got to think, man, we had some big family gatherings and my cousins and I would always do skits and I loved making jokes. So I think that was kind of like the starting point. And then um, as I went into junior high and high school, I think like I was much more of like the class clown type of vibe to it, you know? And so I think that's when I dis- discovered it, but like discovered wanting to be funny and being yeah. funny are very different things
0: yeah I, I can imagine I think uh, many times when we run into comedians we we think that they're automatically funny but it's not what we think it's a very technical thing that they that you do on stage and uh, you know on screen it's not that you are funny all the time and you're on all the time yeah that's what I've learned by, by being around a lot of comedians.
1: Yeah. Like I, I remember when I started doing improv comedy in high school and that's like, that's when it went from something I enjoyed and something that was a bit of my personality into like something I wanted to hone and and, and follow up on. So I started doing improv comedy in high school. I joined a, a a theater in Calgary where they trained performers for free and I wasn't very good. Like I didn't have a comedic voice. Um, and it took a lot of years for me to find my voice and who I was And I say that because like, like when you look at Asian comedians, there wasn't for me at that time, there wasn't like a pathway to get somewhere. At least now we have like so many Asian comedians that we can look up to and we, they are the best of the best. But back when I was starting out, it was like, like, I would say like Russell Peters, you know, coming out in the early two thousands, but even like, you know, like that was early Russell. And so, um, you know, finding my voice, finding who I was. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to perform at, to do improv and to fail repeatedly over and over again
0: yeah. um,
1: to, to find my voice.
0: You know, I, I listened to some of your interviews and four years of failing is sort of like what you kind of described as your early days. But what keeps somebody going for, I mean, for most people getting through a year or two of failing and, and knowing that you're not good, admitting that you're not good, but four years, what do you think kept you going and saying, I want to pursue this journey? That's
1: a good question. That's very good. Um I think I started when I was I was I was 16, 17 when I started. So for the first year or two, it was from sheer like something to do, you know, it was like something to do with my friends. And when they st- when we graduated high school, I was still doing it, and when they stopped going, it was just me, and it was tough. Like I wasn't good, and I wasn't getting stage time, and I think the artistic director of the theater was wasn't uh, wasn't giving me the opportunities I wanted. And I pushed through, and I and I think for me, it's because I felt like I could get better, and I just needed to like keep working at it. And I think it's a bit of like that. I have like a really addictive personality, yeah, and I wasn't gonna stop doing it doing it until i figured it out and so when my friends stopped going and it was literally just me at that point because i started with like seven of us there were seven of us all of us were asian they called us the asian invasion and when they stopped coming in theory i should have stopped going but i went because like I, I just wanted to get good and i really enjoyed it and like i loved like seeing good performers and figuring out what they did well and how i could steal what they had and put it in my tool belt so I think it was like at the beginning, it was like sheer stubbornness. And then when I was getting a bit of success, it was like from this drug of, of getting yeah. laughter on stage. Um, and that's what kept me pushing through. And so I think also because I was going to university for a degree in economics and business. And I just needed something that grounded me mm. that wasn't school and improv was that improv was the thing that wasn't school or wasn't my job. And I think that, that always um, stimulated me in a way that I just kept wanting to do. So yeah, that, that first four years is rough, man. Like it was a lot of failures.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I can imagine when you're going through something like comedy and you're going through the journey of like learning this stuff and you think that you don't have the talent. How do you, it's like, it's 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 mind-boggling to me how you keep persevering and going, you know, I'm not getting staged. I'm not getting called up to the stage. I'm not, the artistic directors are not asking me to do. And it get, just gets weighing down on, on, on somebody's soul. And did you see a glimmer of hope and saying, you know, I can get better. I am improving. Yeah, there were glimmers of hope, always.
1: There'd be like, if I had like a month of like, I wasn't playing or I didn't get a lot of shows. There'd be like a show where I did okay. Mm. And that little high kept me going. It's funny because I, I just watched Joyride last night. And this isn't a spoiler, but there's a scene where one of like the white kids in 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 in, in her class was just like, um, oh no, no, her back, we're like kind of making fun of her um, for her Asian background. And her best friend comes up and I was like, you don't have to prove anything to these people. And I remember when I started doing improv, I had a a best friend who was was white. Um, And he said, you know, Andrew, like, are you trying to be an actor? Because there's no funny Asians who are actors. And I feel like that always propelled me to, like, I'm going to prove that guy wrong. I'm going (laughs) to prove him wrong. To the point where I saw him a few years ago. We're, We're not friends anymore. Not for that, but just for, like you know, growing up, but he saw me, he was like, hey, I am really proud of you, man. Can you please stop mentioning me, me in interviews? Because <laughs> it's like, it's like, every interview is like, you mention me, you don't say my name, but you always mention me as the guy you're trying to prove wrong. And I'm like, I need that, man. I need that motivation. Um, you're doing it right hard. now. <laughs> I'm doing it now, man. I'm doing it in the US now. <laughs> Taking it international. I, I love comedy and i i would watch snl and 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 fall in love with the idea of spontaneity and risk taking and like will farrell just his characters were always on the edge of chaos and i love that and when i had that success on stage in calgary a very white city i it fueled me more and then when i was getting more and more success and after shows audience members would come and be like hey man great show andrew or, or there'd be rumblings of people being like, "Oh, I hear there's a really funny Asian guy." So I'm like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Am I the funny Asian guy? All right, okay. Call my friend up. Do you hear that? This is the funny Asian guy. That's just me. There's no other Asians here." It it was like this thrill, you know. And so that propelled me. And um, when I finished university, I didn't think there was a career for me in comedy. So. I tried to work like a nine to five job, but comedy kept pulling me closer and closer. And I just needed to be able to make that career. And thankfully my parents encouraged me to do so.
0: Oh, wow. That is, that's a, uh, a very novel thing for, yeah. What, they encouraged you. What do you yeah. think was in their minds to say, we're going to like take a risk And go off the edge, off the program book here, and encourage our son to do something so risky. Yeah. Well,
1: so I graduated university in in two thousand six, and between two thousand six and two thousand nine, I was the director of a nonprofit organization, and that was really helpful because I got to like my hours were really flexible, and I got to make a good living, and I was hustling improv gigs and hosting, and so the thing for me in Calgary. The really helpful thing was like I wasn't in a Toronto or Vancouver or the equivalent in the US would be like an LA or New York because Calgary, you didn't do improv in Calgary to make it. You weren't an actor to make it. You did it because you love it, which but also means the pool is much smaller. So I was chasing like hosting. That's what I was doing. Chasing hosting, emceeing, commentating, uh, mm. creative writing. I emceed the Calgary Stampede, which is like, big giant rodeo but i emceed like the cool stages you know where they didn't need me to dress up like a cowboy and so i was able to supplement my income and build a career out of this and also with my parents i didn't like i get asked a lot from from kids of immigrants and i was like how did you bring it up with your parents and i think i'm like i always do this i'm like i didn't tell them what i was doing until a little bit later like i didn't say i was doing improv I just said I was like gonna go out with my friends. And they didn't care as long as I was in school and not breaking the rules and I you know I wasn't doing any of that. So when I invited them to my to their first improv show, I was like 22, 23. They weren't worried. And 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 and, and I was about 5 years into the game. So when they came to the improv show, it was sold out. It was sold out because Andrew Fung was playing tonight. Right. And so they would hear buzz of like people. Oh, they're like, my mom and dad were like, they're here to see you. And I'm like, yeah, they know I'm playing tonight. It's been promoted that I'm in the cast tonight. That's exciting to them. And I would always introduce them to the crowd. I would do a scene based on their life. I would get a suggestion from my mom and dad and my mom and dad loved it. But because I included them in our journey, And they saw me a little bit later on the journey. They're like, oh, Andrew's good. He's got this. So by the time 2012 rolled around, I was like, I've been thinking about quitting my job and going after the arts full time. And mom and dad like, do it. Go for it. Go for it. Because they saw that I was making a living emceeing events and i always say people like i'm always like very blunt with numbers because it it becomes a numbers game i always say what do you make at a good job in 2012 and i'm like well if per paycheck you got two thousand dollars every two weeks so four thousand a month that's a pretty good job yeah right well in 2012 when i was emceeing events i would get 750 to 1500 per emceeing gig i could do two to four events a month two to four days a month, that's the salary I made at a job, right? Then I have all those other days to chase other things. And I was like, you know, i booked like a little role, like a non-union television show that shot twice a week, 700 bucks a day for an entire year and a half, right? So it's like, once you add that up, I made what I was making at a job. And so my parents aren't worried. So when I quit my job to go after this full time, they were good with it. And then when I would I started producing my own improv shows. And so on a good weekend, you know, after two shows, after paying, paying everybody, I could clear 2,500 from two shows. That's like the dream, right? So like, you bring it down to a numbers basis. It was like, my parents were like, you're good. You know, I, I
0: heard in an interview that you kept a spreadsheet and there was, yeah, this idea of if you were making more than, you know, your day job and you are bringing in more with your, your art and your, your emceeing and your comedy, then you're good to go. And I could see clearly how that kind of thinking really can make parents feel at at ease because if they know that our son's thinking about that on a practical level and he's actually clearing it and he's successful at it, why not? Yeah. I hacked the game, man. Like, yeah, like, like
1: parents, like want you to work smart, you know? um and so i showed them the excel spreadsheet i literally open it up today like i have one until now like and i i use it to like track my year and i i, I still do it just like because it's like this safety net of understanding what my year looks like and then i also do it because i'm like oh you know what this month is like um open and usually this month is light for money but now it's like oh, this month is open, I can take time off. (laughs) As opposed to before, it was like, ooh, this month is light, I gotta work harder. It's funny that like the roles have turned now to to, to where I am in my career. But yeah, I use this Excel spreadsheet. I still use it. I tell people, I'm like, that is the ultimate motivator. I approached my arts career and my comedy career like a business. And so I'm so thankful that my parents um, encouraged me and pushed me to have like a proper education and so, by having that, I'm able to use it for what I do in my day to day. How I organize time, like even right now, like I have like, I have a paper calendar, <laughs> like, and that's just that's just the habit that I saw my father do. My father had a paper calendar always open on his desk for like the metal shop and where he was supposed to be and who, who he had meetings with. He was always constantly doing paperwork to to get ahead of the game, and so approaching my my arts career like that was really helpful it helped me understand what i needed to do um because um i think sometimes there's a pitfall of like you book a gig and it pays like x dollars you're like i'm good yeah well on the grand scheme of things you're not good like you know what i mean like you need to match what you're making at at, at a job out in the world and so i'm really grateful for that
0: but you know before we get into kim's convenience and landing that role you know when you're out in the gig economy and you're a comic or you're hosting and you're doing all these things that people are paying you uh, some small a few hundred dollars how do you look at your spreadsheet and go you know what i have some openings here in this month i'm just gonna go out and land more stuff how do you manifest that sort of thinking how do you go out and go you know i'm gonna land a few more things i mean that's not typical of what i hear with artists because You know, we're thinking like we got to be creative. We got to like live in this. You're actually saying, no, 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 no. It's like a sales job. You're going to go out and find more slots to fill so you can make more money. How did that come about?
1: I think it's that. Well, I think that is a little bit of the Vietnamese coming out. Is it not? Because like, I don't think you'll meet a Vietnamese aunt or uncle that isn't constantly grinding out. A career right and so i think that's seeing my parents like my dad my dad will always talk about how for him it was always chasing more contracts and more opportunities seeing my parents do that made me the mm-hmm. way i am working with my dad for two summers in his metal shop um and i told my wife the other day, i'm like i almost lost a finger she like, almost lost a finger and it's because it came up because my cousin chan he worked there like you know, five, six years earlier when he was a teenager and he wasn't paying attention and this machine came down and cut off his finger. And then so my cousin Kean, Kean had to like get the car, put Jaden in, get the finger on ice, rush to the hospital so they could reattach the finger. And I remember I, like, was falling asleep at this machine because you're doing, like, 10,000 grinds. And I, I, I fell asleep. I was, like, falling asleep, and it clipped down on my finger. And, like, I woke up, and I was like, oh! And thankfully, there wasn't much pressure, so it was just a cut. So, yeah, like, I almost lost the finger, so that's going to motivate you to yeah. go out and always be grinding it out. But for me, I think Im- this is where improv really helped because improv – when you're on stage with your partner, you're always like looking at what are the options here? Where, where's my like choose your own adventure? Yeah. So for me, I've always been really good. And it's because of improv of like thinking outside the box and like finding ways to to to, to hustle and grind. So for emceeing, it was going to chamber of commerce events and meeting other business owners and, and finding out like, hey, oh, you're a brewery hey, do you need someone to MC an event for you coming up? They'd be like, you know what, Andrew? Yeah, we we got this We got this like, launch we're doing for a, new, for a new brew. Why don't you come down? How much do you charge? I'm like, 500 bucks. I'm like, 500 bucks for sure, right? It was also hosting a lot at Loose Moose. So Loose Moose has like a name in Calgary. So if they were looking for a host or a person, they'd come to the theater and be like, oh, Andrew, do you want to host this? I'd love to. And then from there, when you do a good event, you can get 10 other events because people who go to events probably work at other companies. They're like, hey, can you come do this? Andrew, we're hosting a chicken wing eating competition. You want to host it? Hell yeah, I want to host a no. chicken wing eating competition. Um, my favorite is, uh, Andrew, I'm the best man at a wedding. Can you help me write the speech? Hell yeah, I can help you write a best man speech. You owe me $300. Cool right and then that became a little side hustle so it just was like every everything in life presented an opportunity and I'll pounce on it so if I see there's an opportunity to work with you work for you do something and if I learn about your business and be like hey how can I help with that right then I would do it so it's really just it's really just like with with improv you see every possibility so whenever I interact with others in the world it was just like oh this is how I could work with you let me sell this you might not take it now, but you might take it later. Yeah. So it, it is it is a bit of that, you know, uh
0: immigrant mentality of just going out trying to find work. And saying yes to opportunity, not being yeah. afraid to say, you know, yeah, I got this. You you go
1: for it. Well, that's the tenets of improv, yes and, right? So saying yes and to something, yes, um, and adding on to it, and, and you know what'd be great. Like like the, the science center in Calgary did this adults night and I remember going to one and it was great, but I'm like, this event needs an MC. So literally reaching out to the person who organized it. And I asked the front desk, I'm like, who organizes this? And they're like, oh, this is their name. This is their contact. Great. Emailing them cold to me like, hey, I went to one of your events. If you ever need an MC, I noticed that there's some bunch up and the staff weren't equipped to like handle people going to and from exhibits and there are some questions about schedule. I'd love to come down for the day and and, and MC one of your evenings. I am that for 4 years. That was a monthly gig that paid $700 every last Thursday of the month. I did that when I was on Kim's convenience season one and two, because I didn't want to learn, turn down the money. Cause in my mind, I'm like, it's $700 for three hours. Like, and so when I gave up that gig, like I was, it was tough. Like I was like, <laughs> oh man, like I don't need it anymore, but like it's $700, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just like, you got to look for every opportunity to go after it. And so it is a business approach. And I do, I do understand that sometimes like If you're an actor or performer or comedian, it's not like it it isn't the most artistically um, fulfilling, but it's genuinely really fun. Like I had a lot of fun doing it. And I will say, working the Calgary Stampede that first year, I did it for four years. That first year, 10 shows a day for 10 days, you get really
0: good at emceeing. You get really good really fast. You know, we watch. You on Kim's convenience, or run the burbs, and we see this character. But who knew? In order to get to just the, the 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 tip of the iceberg, you have all this experience with just being out in the world, emceeing and giving your your vibration, your your thoughts, your who you are. You've had plenty of practice doing this publicly. And then so by the time we see this on screen, we're like, damn, this guy just made it overnight in the last five years. Right. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this is we don't have a Vietnamese comedian in the United States, Mm -hmm. you know, on, on TV, having a TV show about the Vietnamese family. But we have a lot of comedians in the United States and arguably our community of Vietnamese Americans are massive. But we get this guy out of Calgary who's a Canadian. Now we have him on US TV. That is an amazing thing. It's just a beautiful thing, Andrew. And I again I can't tell you how much, you know, how awesome that is. How did you get to Kim's convenient convenience? And how did you how did you think that it would affect your life when you went to into the audition? Um, I was
1: doing a show. Um, at the Edmonton Fringe Festival, the Fringe Festival is like a theater festival a comedy festival where it's like new works or like, um, you know, smaller works. And I was touring an improv show called Kill Hard, and Kill Hard was an improvised action movie based on an audience member's life. Wow. We'd interview an audience member, and then we we pull something from their life and turn it into an action movie. And we had like 10 fight scenes choreographed. So we would just like whisper fight two and go into fight number two. And we would sprinkle it in. We always had a car chase choreographed, you know? And uh, after the show, Ins Choi was in the audience. And Ins Choi was the creator of Kim's Convenience. And he waited after the show and he's like, who are you, man? And I was like, oh, I'm Andrew Fung." He's like, how come I've never seen you? And I'm mm. like, I'm not really part of the theater world, the improv comedy world. And he's like, I got a show called Kim's Convenience. A, a play and I was like I know I know Kims means the play it's like I'd love for you to audition for it okay so then like four months later I get a reach out to my agent and I had an agent like very loosely like an agent who just booked me at some commercial auditions every now and then like real light stuff she's like yeah you got this audition for this sh- um for the show I'm like okay so I sent in a tape didn't hear anything for a month I didn't get it month later hey we want to fly you out to Vancouver Okay, free trip to Vancouver, all right. Go to Vancouver, audition in front of the team. Didn't hear anything for a month. I'm like, I didn't get it. Get an email. Andrew, they want they want to bring you to Toronto for a chemistry read. You need to negotiate your deal now. <laughs> so we negotiate my deal. I go to Toronto, free trip to Toronto. The night I land in Toronto, I go do an improv show because I needed to stay warm and I would lose my mind in the hotel room go audition the next day first scene is with Simu Simu Liu mm-hmm. I remember the script uh was a Kimchi and Jung scene and um it was like Jung was chasing Kimchi around and I just tried something because I'm like I'm gonna be a loose cannon improv in me and as he was chasing me I started doing jumping kicks and then shouting karate over and over again and then pretending to hit him and then and then then we went back into the scene and I said kimchi knows jung would beat him up but kimchi would never run because they've been friends since they were kids kimchi would fight you and lose he'd rather fight you and lose than run away from a fight and it was something i discovered and then i did a scene with paul sun young lee and again i went the opposite and I, paul told me this afterwards the the scene was them at the toilet bowl and every actor hot, hid their laugh when appa said Ballcock. and when he said balcock i just started like laughing. <laughs> and and, and Paul was like you're the one only one who did that so i kind of went against the the grain but like i went with my instincts and then a week later i found out book kim's convenience and i was so excited but i was unsure of how big the show was going to get so i moved to toronto for six months to make the show my family was in calgary came back didn't know how big the show was going to get got renewed for season 2 and then and then we're like oh then we went on a tour across Canada and we saw how big the show got and that was massive and so um i knew it was going to be life changing i just didn't quite know it was going to be this much and so i'm very grateful for that opportunity
0: and while this is all going on the last you know those 5 years do you do stand up do you do other gigs that are you know um that support a different type of art you know within the comedic space yeah, like when I was filming season one and two of Kim's, I was doing still doing my
1: monthly hosting gigs, my weekly improv shows. I was still doing like four shows a week. Um from season one and two, and then season three, I was still performing weekly. And so yeah, like I honestly, like my schedule hasn't really changed. I don't do weekly improv shows anymore, but I still do improv. And I don't do weekly improv shows mainly because I'm so busy, right? Yeah. I'm doing a show Friday. I'm doing I'm doing a show this Friday. I'm very excited about it. Um and and it's with Colin Mockery. And like so, like it's wild now that like my like the, the people I get to play with are like these people that like I looked up to for so long. Um they're my peers that I think are so incredibly talented. Um, but yeah, like in, my job is still the same. Like every day I'm still hustling and grinding it, but like my hustle now is like. MCing gigs like i that that are in the country that i travel around for i get booked a year in advance um i'm hustling my tv show like now my day is reading scripts for my show writing executive producing reviewing cuts going through edits listening to music like it's still the same it's just the the the, the, the size the scale of the work is even bigger now right mm-hmm. um and that's what I love like my career has progressed in this way that I, I wanted it to. I'm just doing bigger projects now.
0: Canada and the U S are, are very, very similar cultures, mm. but there are differences. Now your comedy and comedy in the US, i S I'm sure that there's like these small, uh, nuances that are different, but is it in your sort of DNA and your mindset to say, In order to really do the big breakthrough you got to come through in the united states one day and break through here i don't think it is for me because
1: that was never the goal like the goal for me was to do improv shows and make a good living and like i i feel like i've accomplished that so for me everything's just gravy now and and i i i've never I didn't, I don't think I ever needed to succeed in another country. I just need to succeed in like my local community. And the really cool thing is that by, by doing that, I've been able to succeed. Like, whenever I go to the US, like I was in New York last month and like everywhere I went, just was like, hey, you love your show, man. You kimchi? Like, people just stopping in the streets. And I'm, like, I'm not talking like one or two, it's like literally everywhere we went. Every subway, every corner, people stopping. And New Yorkers are blunt. Like one guy just came out to be real aggressive, He's like, hey, I like your TV show. You're real funny. Walked away. I was like, oh, thank you. You know? And so um, success in the US wasn't the objective, but it's definitely an outcome I will take because I'm so thankful for it. And with a show like Run the Burbs Now, um, To be able to to make a show that is um, spotlighting things that happen in a Vietnamese household makes me really proud, you know? Like, in the first episode uh, of season one, the pilot, I say, like, very early. And I remember right away the tweets of people coming at me like, whoa, Andrew Fung just said, on network television, right? Damn, what a moment. you know, and that's a moment. And yeah. so, or we did scenes where I'm speaking in broken Vietnamese, Vietglish, you know, because that's how I speak it. People being like, Hey, Andrew's Andrew's accent's on point there. Like, that's how that's how the second generation speaks Vietnamese. And then people being like, Oh, damn, Andrew Fong wasn't Korean. <laughs> He's Vietnamese, He's Vietnamese. And I was like, Yeah, man, the swerve, right? Like, that's real confusing. And I'm like, but when you let us work, you give us good work, we do it, you know? Yeah. And so it's it's been an honor to 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 do this. And um, as the show goes on, it becomes a bit more and more Vietnamese. Cause like I think in the first season, I was kind of like discovering just how to make a show and then seeing what kind of stuff landed. And when we made season two, I'm like, all oh, the Vietnamese lands, just let's go with mm. it. Right, and so it's 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 been a really cool experience.
0: Would you ever uh, move to the U.S. because of the opportunities uh, in entertainment? I I,
1: I, I don't know. I, I I always have to think about my kids and my wife. So moving from Calgary to Toronto was a decision we made together. It was during season three of Kim's Convenience. I had rented a house. We all went out for like three months just to like see if we liked it. Yeah. Everything I do will have to be a decision we make as a family because I don't want to take my kids somewhere they don't want to be or that will reduce their happiness because everything I do now is for their, is for their happiness. Right.
0: Right.
1: You know? And so I don't want to go somewhere where they're miserable so that that dad can have more opportunities. I also think the way the world is now in a post COVID world the world is a bit smaller because of Zoom, because you and I are able to do this over over right. the internet. Um, so I've had great interaction with the people in the U.S. Like, I think most of the projects that reached out to me this year were from the U.S. There is like a handful of projects that reached out to my agent directly to be like, "Hey, is Andrew Andrew Fun interested in this?" And so that's exciting. But I think Kim's convenient Kim's convenience showed the U.S. like. Hey, he's up here. Just just give him a ring. Yeah. He's called my agent. I'm like, yeah, what do you got? Let's do it. Uh and there was one. There was one that was shooting in Vietnam, which was so exciting. Like, so it was shooting in, in, in uh in, in, in Vietnam. And my parents were gonna be there at the same time. So part of my thinking was like, if I say yes to this, I want there to be a day that I I I, I know where my parents are and I walk into the cafe and and see them like hey mom how you doing and just for my mom <laughs> to lose her mind right i didn't end up doing it because the scheduling didn't work out um but it, it was definitely like i was like ooh this this was, it's uh, worth doing just for this yeah that i booked a project in vietnam but yeah it's it's I think I think the world is a bit smaller now because of post COVID world. We it's so easy to connect to people more than ever. We've had to become resilient that way. Um, but look, I met with my agent this morning, and we're planning a trip into to LA in December to do some meetings. And so um, it's always on the table. But I'm very happy with the freedom and flexibility I've had in Canada. I'm so proud of that. Uh, that the our national broadcaster has ordered a show about a Vietnamese Indian family and has just given us free range in what we do in regards to this. In season two, I cannot wait for you to see the episode where we just trash talk each other's curries. It starts off with my wife, Camille, and she has an Indian curry, uh, a chicken curry. And then across the way is our neighbor who has a curry chicken. (laughs) All right. And then my mom walks in with uh, a gariga and says, don't even talk. Both of yours look and smell disgusting. Mine's the best. <laughs> no one, like, you know what I mean? Like they, they, people talk about in like a in yeah. like a current day, you can't do comedy the same. And I'm like, no, we did an episode where we trash talked each other's curries and no one had a problem. You know why? Because we grounded it in something. And people are like, yeah, I remember teaching in high school and the kids would come in and argue about whose food was the best because we were so ride or die. With both our curries, and so, and I wrote the episode just because I wanted Carriga uh, on set. I just wanted all the curries on set. But yeah, I'm so excited for them to see, and like, I'm so proud of the network. Like, we we never got pushback on those things. Like, they've been so supportive in 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 letting us make a show like this.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a new day and age. It's like we are. It's good to be. It's good to be Vietnamese today. I think it's a great yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, it's. I think we're. Like, we're going to see an influx of some Vietnamese projects coming in, coming yeah. through soon. And I think um, there's, like, there's so much to be proud of. There's so much to be, to spotlight. But I also think that when a lot of our parents and grandparents came to this country, they had a lot of trauma they carried with them. And so, um, at times, the Vietnamese community could be closed off. I think I think for a lot of us, we kind of just try to blend in, you know, and, like, just put our head down and work. And yeah. I think we're at a really special point now where we can hold our head up high for what we have gone through and what our children have accomplished, you know? And that's what makes me proud, like, seeing what you're doing and how you spotlight my fellow uh, Vietnamese siblings and what they're doing, and that makes me so proud, and I, I love seeing that, like, being connected to the larger Vietnamese matrix,
0: <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Somchai Distillery, my only go-to gin company. Established in 2018, Somchai Distillery is Vietnam's first gin distillery, founded by Daniel Nguyen, a Vietnamese-American from Southern California. No matter how many people I have at my parties, we are always pouring Somchai Gin. Somchai Gin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Sumchai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. Sumchai prides itself in Vietnam from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. Sumchai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. <laughs> And, and I wanted to bring up uh, these co- comedian groups in uh, East Coast West Coast. So have you heard of um, Fred Lay and um, Andy Van? They do Embarrassed by Night. It's a play on Paris by Night. They do what's what's Embarrassed by Night? Embarrassed by Night is a night where they just bring on like seven to ten Vietnamese comedians and they just go crazy. So it's a show. It's just a comedy night that they bring up all these stand up guys throughout the Vietnamese uh, comedy world. And, you know, it's all English. It's all done in English because all these guys are born in America. So it's uh, these two guys, Fred Lay and and Andy Van, that do Embarrassed by Night. And then they do another show for like more pan-Asian, like Asian-Americans called uh, 626 Laugh Market. It's a play off the 626 Night Market out here in uh, California. So they do these two shows. One's all Vietnamese and then the the other one's Asian-American. And that would be cool just to see you come down to do one of these events with them, you know, to, to, to do a stand you up. set that up, man. I would love, I would love to,
1: whenever there's an opportunity to be mm-hmm. in a room full of Asians doing comedy, I love it. And like embarrassed by night is so great. Cause you say Betty Panai to anybody and they know right yeah. away. Yeah. You and know. I, could,
0: I could see it'd be trippy for you to, to be in a room with hundreds of Vietnamese or hundreds of, of Asian Americans in here in California it's it's a trippy thing i don't want to give away a lot but in season two
1: we introduced the california vietnamese cousins and i've always said the cali viet are like on another level they got little saigon they like they like because like in canada the vietnamese population is is like is like is like is like spread out and so because there's a lot less of us we didn't have like these little communities that popped up right um And so that's why you'll find like a random banh mi shop in like Saskatoon, like this rural city, you know. And I'm always like, whoa, where'd this me shop come from? You know, and it, what happens is it's like one family that moved to Saskatoon and then this is what they opened up, right? And the community supported them. But like, yeah, like in California, in Cali, like, and I knew about this in like 01 when Asian Avenue popped up. Yeah. And Asian Avenue, you're introduced to like all the Asians in North America, and it was all Cali Asians. And they just like lived a life. There's a style, there's a musical genre, um, the import car scene. All those things, and I'm I'm learning about that now through like just wonderful like Instagram accounts and connecting to that community. But like, yeah, we introduced the Cali cousins, and it was like a joy. Uh So yeah, our v- our our exec at CBC is half Vietnamese, and so she she's on board with all the jokes. Though one time I did put in a nu into a script, and she's like, Andrew, though I appreciate the sentiment. You know full well we cannot air this. At eight thirty, on on television, and so <laughs> she caught me in it, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's like the Vietnamese and region different, which is interesting because like a lot of the clips from the show have 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 gained momentum on TikTok and social media, and like one clip in particular was just was 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 a little bit polarizing because they'd, they'd be like, um, like we're arguing, my family's arguing, my parents and I, and. Um, one one person comment like people are just commenting, like, oh my God, this is real life. this is like this is it for us And one person comment is like, oh, these Vietnamese don't argue like the Vietnamese I know And I'm like, well, it looks like you're from California
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well we're're we're, we're up in Canada, so we 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 don't argue the same way And I'm like that that in itself is like like in order for us to truly represent our community, yeah, we actually need to understand that Vietnamese, in North America is a varied thing, like is there's a range of how we are, and the Vietnamese in Vietnam will look at the Vietnamese in North America and be like, "What are you talking about? You're not Vietnamese. It's like we, we're the Vietnamese." So even within that. Our culture has changed because when we got to this country, we were spread out. We went to all these places either for work or we were sponsored to go to these places or we had like one random family member there. And so it evolves like my family fights a bit differently than other families, you know, Um, which has been interesting dissecting.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we are dissecting this because East Coast Vietnamese versus West Coast Vietnamese are very different people. Very yeah. different, and and yeah. and it boils down to something's very simple. When you're an East Coast Vietnamese, chances are you did not grow up around a lot of Vietnamese or Asians, so you had to really grow a thicker skin, and you had to combat the outside forces of other people that you that were not Vietnamese that did not look like you. When you're in Orange County or California, Southern California especially, there's there's strength in numbers. So you can live within your community and then like explore outside. But chances are there's very little of kind of bumping heads that you do in the East Coast. And the East Coast, because of the weather, because of whatever it is, people are just, they grind harder. They go out and drink more. They just are, they're just hardcore, more hardcore. When the East Coast Vietnamese come out to LA and especially in the entertainment industry, these guys just tear it up out here because they just work harder they're just more well read they go to better you know better schools and you know this is all a gross generalization for sure but if you really analyze like the guys who really kick ass really take names it's really the guys that are from the east coast that really just trump they kill it they kill it out here And, and
1: what what i what i what i always go back to is i remember the first season of kim's convenience there was like a a YouTuber and they had watched the first two or three episodes and he did not like the show. They're like, this is not how Asian people act. This is not how Koreans act. This is not it. He posted a response like a few months later. He's like, I finished the season. He said, I was wrong. This isn't how my family acts, Mm. but that doesn't mean this isn't a Korean family. And he's like, I understand now that this is someone's interpretation of their family, the family they create in order for our culture to proceed and to be able to tell our stories, we have to acknowledge that there are variations of how our stories exist. Mm -hmm. It's like white people don't watch Friends and be like, that is not how white people are. Like, they don't do that. They just accept, oh, that's one group of friends. They're not my friends. They might be my friends and they leave it there, right? That's how we have to let ourselves
0: be. There's an allowance of a plenitude attitude of an attitude of plenitude for white people to say whatever and have whatever stories they have but it's not okay when there's a plenitude of vietnamese stories out there and people but i think the root of all of this is because people are just like fuck i wish they told my story you know what Mm. i mean in in their own brain they're just like you know they're hating because they want their story everybody wants their vietnamese story version to be out in the world and not some other families or not some other version of the vietnamese Way of of life, but we all know that even in Vietnam, there's a million different ways Vietnamese people live. There's this; it's not a monolith anywhere we go.
1: Yeah, it's disrespectful that we think it is. Yeah, that there are two hundred plus million Vietnamese, and that it boils down to one one story for them. It's yeah. not like that, you know, and and. So for for our show, like I tried to find what are the things relatable to me. Um, our cultural consultant Vin Nguyen is also my cousin, but my cousin, who, firstly, he's a professor in, in refugee studies and, uh, and 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 gender studies. He's a tenured professor, and like I, I'm so in awe. He's like the cousin that everyone should be talking about. <laughs> they talk about me sometimes. They're like, oh, because he's on TV. But I'm like, no, it's Vin, man. Vin's where it's at. Wow. But Vin came to Canada when he was. Uh, like older and so he has this understanding so like i'll talk to vin about like nuances and we were like working together on this script because i'm trying to like find this nuance for like for like how our approach is but it's the idea came from asking the actress that plays my sister and like the funny thing there is like i have to like try to keep tabs she auditioned to play another character on the show great audition And I looked at her last name and I was like, "Oh, that's a Vietnamese last name. I bet you she's she's Viet. And she Mm. speaks it too. And so when she didn't get the other role, I'm like, bring her in to play my sister. Wow. Brought her in. And and so this was based on me asking her, what do you want from your character? And she's like, well, Andrew, like my brother's a lawyer. My other brother's a doctor. And they both married lawyers and doctors. We have enough doctors in the family that we could open up our own private clinic. And then me musical theater <laughs> and she's like i want to do an episode based on this thing and i was like got it okay. and so it's just like for me it's like it's like it's like finding stories that connect to me but then also the performers that are part of my family and I, i'm very proud whenever there's a clip that kind of blows out people are just like oh their accents are really good i'm like yeah because we're all viet you know and then uh you know but my son is not viet on the show he plays half Vietnamese, half half Indian, which is like a really hard thing. But he he's Filipino, and someone made a comment. They're like, his pronunciation is not so great. I'm like, yeah, it's it's almost as if he's a kid who didn't Vietnamese isn't his first language, <laughs>
0: right? It's that's, it's that's that's normal. It's, it's exactly, normal. Yeah, of course, his Vietnamese is not going to be uh, great. It's <laughs> normal. That's the way it yeah. is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I'm like, but that's part of the journey as well because he will represent a generation of Vietnamese kids whose parents are Vietnamese or they're part Vietnamese because they're third or fourth generation now, and they don't know the language. And it's one of those things unless you go to 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 Vietnam unless you go to those schools, right? You don't quite get aggressive, especially in North America. So yep. I, I've, I've been I've been reading Vietnamese books to my son and I'm like, oh, damn, your Vietnamese is getting pretty good. Like we got to like up the ante. But then like for me, upping the ante actually requires me to learn more Vietnamese.
0: <laughs> Are you ever going to get into the feature film space? I'm always. It's always on the table. Like
1: I'm always happy to do so. And like I've, i finished two movies this year. Um, I did one with Olivia Chang from Warrior. I'm really excited about. Um, that's a that's a drama feature. Um, directed by a, an emerging um, Asian Canadian director. I did another f- silly comedy this year. Um, oh, so by one of my. You've done two did, films. Two films this year alone. Oh shit! Um, so yeah, one. I usually do like one or two movies a year. You're moving um, into the movie space. Yeah, like it's it's always been part of it, you know. Like, yeah, um, it's always been part of it. But I've always been so busy with TV, you know, and so I I haven't stopped working. Like, literally, the the last three years, I made I went from Kim's to run the Burbs. I shot another show called LOL, that was one of Amazon Prime's most highest viewed series. It was like a reality show where if you make a comedian laugh, you're they're eliminated. Me, Tom Green, Colin Mockery. Wow. And it was like the Canadian All-Stars. Um, finished third. Look, I'll take that. All- I lost wow. to Colin Mockery and Tom Green. You know, How this true. little this little Asian kid from Calgary went toe-to-toe with those guys. Yeah. Um, An honor. And I'm never going to beat those guys. They're legends. But, like, it was an honor. And then I went to do more Run the Burbs. And so, for me, what I'm most excited about is, like, my career is just, like, I feel like it's just getting started.
0: Yeah. Just you know,
1: it's his started. And I look at Paul Samyang Lee, Appa. he's in Star Wars now. He's in Last Airbender. He's from Calgary, like me. And I remember when we auditioned, he asked me, he's like afterwards, like, "Hey, where are you from?" I'm like, "Oh, from Calgary." He's like, oh, "You're from Calgary." He had to leave Calgary to build his career. I got to build my career in yeah. Calgary. But in a lot of ways, Paul's just getting started. Right. Yeah. and so for me i'm i i don't i don't compare myself to the standard equation of of overnight success because for me it's always uh, success to me is being able to take my kids to the movies and you know to be able to like have dinner but like isn't that success what our parents wanted it to be I mean, beyond like, it our parents yeah our parents success was if they could take us to mcdonald's on a friday night right like you know just to be able to pay the bills to get a to get a new honda accord
0: you know like yeah. like
1: that was their idea of success and i do connect back to that because that, that is the most important thing for me success for my
0: family you know i want to switch gears uh and talk a little bit about the sneakers that you have on the wall back there yeah <laughs> and uh it sounds like you are part of a a community of sneakers and young people uh you started uh, or you're co-founding you're you're involved in something called yyc soldiers and I wanted to yeah. talk a little bit about that
1: it was a sneaker group i started up in 2012 with some buddies we were just like we'd met up in the sneaker lineups big into sneakers started this group up Organize some events and then like we made enough money at the events to kind of start a business with it. so they're running it now, but like it's super cool, like who they're working with. They're working with eBay sneakers, they're working with it on a on a national level. Um, and we just like do these fun sneaker meetups. And so sneakers was very much something that was I connected to. Um, um you know, I started doing comedy and it's become a, a big part of like my my persona, but it's also like, you know how I said improv was the thing that wasn't school. Well, yeah. When improv became my job, I needed a thing that wasn't improv and comedy. So sneakers mm-hmm. became that <laughs> sneakers and pro wrestling became that, you know? And I, I am excited to say I got air force Malt in season two of run the Burbs. Like I got, I, we put that into the script.
0: Was that right? sub doc? Where, where, where's that? From? Oh yeah.
1: That's Sub-Doc all day long. sub doc, sub doc did it. Oh, got the air force Malt on feet. And so, I took that and we put it in the show. And so my cousin comes on Tyson, my cousin Tyson comes on. He's like, Oh, got the air force moat on feet. And, and so, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm looking at like Vietnamese culture and trying to like find those things that kind of connect us all into it, bring that into it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful because, uh, the traditional uh, way of a, a a person in the United States, Vietnamese American, when we think about our language, our sort of our puns, it was never funny. We would never think of it as being funny to the outside world. But here you are flipping that script a, little, a bit and saying, you know what? I'm going to bring it into the mainstream and I'm going to make it funny. I'm going to make it not only funny for us, but make it funny for you, all of you out there too.
1: Yeah. Like... There's a scene in season one with me and my dad and I'm trying to speak to him about like a really touchy subject. but my Vietnamese is so bad that I can't quite say it right. And so you watch me spiral with Vietnamese. There's like a joy in that because firstly, it used to be a place of embarrassment yeah that we weren't able to communicate with our elders and aunts and uncles properly. but like for me, I take that as a source of like comedy, you know. And it's a source of like yeah man it's who we are let's lean into it so i try to lean into the things that are relatable i try to lean into those th- um lean into those moments you know and even within our music like we've been able to source really amazing music like we got Suboy, she she gave us some tracks for the show um shout out to and, Suboy.
0: Suboy, yeah a
1: female rapper in vietnam some people are saying that she's a Nicki minaj of vietnam and and her music videos are like beautiful they're like yeah. arts works of art like they're so visual um or like there was one where like there's a song we were trying to source for the second season and the chorus was like that and so i always listen to the lyrics i don't want like violent or misogynistic lyrics like i really broke the song down i'm like is like hit him now and I'm like, okay, hear me out. <laughs> I, like, I sat down with the, the our entire EP team. I'm like, you could argue it's like, hit someone now. But is it also like, you got to hit it now. Because yeah. if this was an American song, it was like, you got to hit it now. We'd be like, yeah, this is a club yeah. anthem. Yep, yep, yep. And so I love that there's this scene where you hear in the background, because we've turned, like we've taken Vietnamese hip hop. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, banger's a banger, regardless of the language. Uh, and I remember like really sitting down, like breaking... because every Vietnamese track, hip hop, you know, I break down the lyrics to make sure they're appropriate for 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 network television. But that one brought me so much joy. So I'm like, it's been such a it's been such a joy looking at like our culture, learning it, refreshing my memory, um, working with Vin on the cultural specificity on it um, because. I I don't know it all. And the way I do things is different. This is a tangent, but I remember I made a TikTok about um, that one year and how much I missed it. It was COVID. But I called it Lisey. I said, oh, I miss Lisey this year. <laughs> Someone went on and was like, you're such a disappointment. It's that. Why are you calling it Lisey? And I was like, oh, damn. And I, I thought, I'm like, I've called it Lisey my whole life. Like we're, my mom and dad be like, oh, we're going to go uh, uh, We called it City And I'm like, you're an Asian, you're a Vietnamese person in another country, in another city. And you're criticizing me for how I have lived culture. You know? And we're both right. <laughs> you know? We're both right. Because every family has their own tradition. Every culture has become its own thing in different places. Right. So for me in making this show, it's finding the specificity for this family yeah. and making sure it works for them. It can't be all families. But yeah, working with Vin has been really interesting and like.
0: But what a beautiful uh, story, uh, this Lisi, because it what it shows is the interpretation of everybody uh who thinks about a certain thing like Lisi and that, you know, that correlation, I mean, that just goes together perfectly. And there is nothing wrong with a young person thinking of like, I can imagine my kids thinking about the red envelope at every every that and Lisi is part of that cultural aspect. And to name it, Lisi Day is sort of apt. It's it, it falls in line. But now having a show that talks about all these little vignettes of our culture that's being translated and picked up in a different way in different viewpoints of, of it just helps perpetuate that we are a variety of Vietnamese all over the world. We see things that are, could be culturally relevant, but we just see it in a different way. And seeing the idea of the Day of Thet as Lisi is so valid. And I think that this should be uh, a practice that we in the Vietnamese media should be talking constantly about how we reinterpret things that are in our culture. We should be able to see that. As we see, because that's it's joyful to think of these little red envelopes bringing little packets of joys to our little kids.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's 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 um, it's something I, I've firstly. Every sitcom, you know, does a Christmas episode. We do not. We do mm-hmm. that episodes Wow. We're, I'm writing the third seasons they we've had one every season. Wow. We do that every season. And so I'm like, that is the opportunity of this show, like for us to do a Christmas episode. Op- there's an opportunity there, but the opportunity of doing that, doing Rakshabandhan, doing holy,
0: mm.
1: doing an Indian Vietnamese wedding, that is greater because no, very few shows have that opportunity. Yeah. So, doing a that episode every season has been exciting um the the learning about it the decor the wardrobe the games you know like i remember having to describe um back off off to to, to the props department and being like all right it's this board and there's six animals on it right Mm -hmm. and there's these dice and then playing the game with the kids and my parents and my wife on the show and people being like oh this is a fun game i'm like right this is a very fun game Mm -hmm. don't play it
0: often you will lose money (laughs) Um, does the so, does your wife's storyline in the show uh come off as 50/50? Uh, the Indian storyline?
1: Yeah, like you know, it's it's something I know in the first season it, it leaned a bit more on the Vietnamese storyline, but season 2 was more Indian stories. We try to balance it out. Um, but with my wife, her journey is with food and and her mother, and her mother passed away when she's at a young age and for my wife Camille it's a journey of discovering her recipes through food and for andrew um you know having a sister that is the perfect child andrew lives in her shadow right uh cuz carol's a doctor and um and uh so we explore that and we see my parents but yeah it's it's 50-50 for sure and i think even 50-50 with overlap in season 2 we do you know we 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 have a beautiful wedding and it shows both cultures and that's been really exciting to see how those cultures um, are similar and complement one another. Um, and it's funny. I just shared it on my Instagram today. Someone tagged me and it was photos from a wedding for like Toronto life. And it was an Asian Indian wedding. And oh. then someone said it was run the burbs in real life. And I'm like, yes, it's run the burbs in real life. Because, you know, as, as, as our time in North America, uh, you know continues and 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 we grow and evolve and get married and find each other right there's a lot in common between asian and south asian cultures
0: yeah absolutely you know? what what inspired you to come up with run the burbs i while making kim's
1: convenience i always wondered what would happen if kimchi and janet and jung when they become parents and i felt like the immigrant experience was something we had seen in storytelling um, but we didn't see what would happen if, like, second-generation Canadians are parents. And I will say that Andrew Pham, as a father, is an Asian father who tells his kids he loves them repeatedly too much. He's overcompensating for when his parents didn't tell them he they loved him growing up. So we raise our parents – we raise our kids differently than our parents do. And I want to reflect that. And I want to reflect this in the suburbs because the suburbs are often – when they're depicted they're depicted very uh bland and mundane and often very white they've erased us from the suburbs but if you go to any suburb in any major city yo we run those suburbs like oftentimes you go to a suburb it's only us yeah. right <laughs> and so i felt that was an opportunity to do that and so that's kind of how the story the the, the idea came together and it was quite quite you know it's been it was a smooth process developing it and and it wasn't that hard to get it greenlit. Well, I think everything is hard to get greenlit. I think it's like a challenge. But I think for us, we were very fortunate that the idea was strong from the beginning. We had an amazing team putting it together, um, and the network believed in us. And uh, yeah, so it was it was it was pretty smooth. Like I'm very thankful for that for that process.
0: So Andrew, let's remind the audience: uh, July on the CW run the burbs is going to come out the first season or the second? Uh, like, how does it, how is this schedule?
1: They're going to air it from the beginning. They're going to air awesome. season one. Um, we're on at eight thirties on Mondays on the CW. Um, it's got a wonderful lineup of son of a critch, which is a fellow CBC show. And then right after us, the show called children, and everything, another fellow Canadian show, the Canadian power hour of comedy, the three shows. I'm so excited to be bringing show to the show, the U um, S and, I wanted to make a show that reflect that just showed us and the children of, yeah. of immigrants raising their kids. And it's a really feel-good show. It's it's a feel-good, happy show. And honestly, I wanted to make a show that wasn't rooted in our trauma.
0: Yeah. Because a lot terrifying. of our
1: stories that are told often about our trauma.
0: Yeah. And yeah. that's so important to move away from it you know i stress that all the time it's like it's good to kind of know about it and it's good to uh honor the the generation that went before it but i mean i was born in the us and i kind of have to live with my parents and that generation is trauma but enough of it for me because i need mm-hmm. to move on and i need to live and 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 show my children that we can move away from trauma and we you know it's okay it's in the background but at the same time, we should be able to kind of live uh, funny moments and humorous storylines without the shadow of war.
1: Yeah, like my 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 when I, I was in Vietnam with my dad in 2011, and he kind of he gave me this really sobering fact because I was commenting like I had been in Vietnam in 2006, and then I was back there in 2011, and I was like, Dad, man, someone's like really changed. He's like, yeah, it's like rapidly industrializing. And I was like, wow. And he's like, well, two-thirds of the country were born after the war. Yeah, And it like, it hit me because we've been like, our only narrative in in North America is often related to the war. But it's been so many years where two-thirds of the country, born after the war, so they don't know that trauma. They're just trying to rapidly build the country to the powerhouse it can be right and it's the same way in north america right and my kids even me like i didn't know what my mom yeah. went through until very recently cuz she never told me cuz she didn't want me to carry that burden in my life she's like what well, i didn't want you to have that on your shoulders you don't need to have it and obviously, now I know, and it gives me a greater appreciation, respect, and understanding of what she went through. But it, it is something on my mind. So I wanted to make a show that was um, about this family, about the suburbs, showing them living their best life. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to, like, I, this was my favorite comment. In the first episode, they're having a barbecue, and someone's like, Oh man, like this is if this family is supposed to be half Indian, where's like the Indian food? Like, you know, and I was like, that in itself is a problem because you're acting like we don't have hot dogs and hamburgers. Like, you think at a barbecue we have to have, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, like I remember barbecues at my grandparents' house or my uncle's house, my Bakwa's house, where it was just straight up hamburgers and hot dogs and beer. (laughs) You know, I was like, or, or skewers, skewers as well, right? Love, oh, we love skewers. Um, but I'm like, yeah, like, you know, we can eat that too, you know? Like, and I was like, it's it's this thing where, like, we're programmed to think that in order for a story to be this culture, it has to be, like, yeah. oh, in your face. But, like, for me, it's very much, like, hitting on the subtle moments of seeing this family living this life their way. And then when the culture plays a part into it... Um, you know, we take the time to to acknowledge that and explore that. But like you're you're a father, right? Yeah, I have two kids, six and four. Yeah, two kids. You don't wake up every day and say, Man, I'm so Vietnamese. I'm gonna show the world how <laughs> Vietnamese I am. No, you wake up, try to get your kids ready for school, yeah. and you hope you put on pants. That's like your morning, <laughs> you know. And so we all live the same thing, yeah. And so it, it it's finding that balance.
0: How do we find it if we don't have cw we're not on terrestrial radio or tv i i can't say it yet but it 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 is going to a streamer
1: afterwards and i'm very excited and so it's uh it's been it's been really exciting seeing this show pick up you know and to find homes for it in the us and so right after it's done on the cw there will be another announcement it to go to a streamer and i'm very excited so
0: yeah um, i am too i'm so happy to hear that it's you know we'll be able to check it out but it's great for the cw too to to have this and great for you to to have it congratulations thank you look you know you're the one who's lived in in in
1: in the us i can't think of another sitcom no centered around a vietnamese family i don't even think that there was one before right I don't think that there's one before. And and Margaret Cho was like Margaret Cho's show was always like the the standard, and like that was the first time. And then from, from from Margaret Cho's show was fresh off the boat, Kim's Convenience. And since then, I feel like we've had others, never have I ever, we've seen that. But like I always go back. I'm like, I can't quite think about it. And our and our my good friend Jess Jess Vu, who you are aware of she 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 you know I've, I've asked her i'm like has there been another one and that, that's why i'm really excited but i do want to say this is one vietnamese family one half vietnamese family which led by a father who struggles with his vietnamese identity because he was not the golden child so it's 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 their story and so the the part i hope and what has happened with kim's convenience that it inspires a dialogue and it inspires more and i will say in season two when we were casting my Cali cousins we were getting auditions from dallas new york atlanta la all these performers trying to audition and i was like i i'm so sorry and they're like andrew you don't understand like the idea that we get to audition for two fully fleshed out Vietnamese characters that are cousins that are just wild and out that are fun comedy. And I felt so bad because I was like, Oh, we need it. So I'm, I'm hoping this creates the change, right? I'm hoping this gives us more opportunities to tell our stories that aren't rooted in the war and trauma, but are rooted very much in the now, like the fact that little Saigon doesn't have a sitcom to me is a, is 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 a crime like i, I don't that know. in itself
0: yeah i don't know why you're not doing cali cousins as the spinoff. <laughs> spin-off yeah the spin-off that there's the, the fucking name <laughs> cali cousins itself that's yeah. a funny shit. and we all know what that means right like in the Vietnamese yeah. TV, it's all those cousins that come from cali are the ones that you know we enough said you know but that would be so interesting and fun to to watch uh a a, a spin-off called Kelly Cousins shout out to Jess boo Jess boo put that together with Andrew
1: yeah <laughs> well if uh I hope you know I hope that the show gains ground and we were able to do stuff like that but yeah it's like it's it's we have lived another another like big period of time where like we can mine we can mine our our yeah. our culture and our experiences in North America and find that. Because like for me, that Bun mi shop in Saskatoon, that in itself to me is a story. And our stories are like, you know, why these random restaurants pop up. Like I was in Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario. And I was like, I ordered Vietnamese from this random spot. And I was like, it is so good. Mm. And I ordered Vietnamese, and I was like, why? If someone told me, Oh, there's a lot of Vietnamese immigrants that are in Hamilton and I was like why they're like oh cuz housing prices were really cheap and I'm like yep the suburbs the suburbs of Toronto is where the vietnamese are so so yeah man it's i hope i hope, it, I, hope it, I hope it opens up more stories and we're starting to see them you know like yeah. we're starting to see more of them pop up and 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 i get little whispers of like this is kind of happening here and there um but uh it, you know we, we got we got room to grow we o- always got room to grow
0: Andrew, I hope to see you in person one day in L.A. or in Calgary or Toronto. Uh, it, this was a blast to, to sit here and chat with you. And, I, you know, I waited a, a long time to get these schedules, you know, uh, in place. And I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, we had the time today and you've made the time. So thank you so much. And congratulations once again on all the success. Thank you for being a leader in the Vietnamese community. Thank you
1: for telling our stories in a second-generation context, and uh, hopefully embarrassed by night 2023, 2024, I get to come out and uh, connect with the community. It would be uh, a joy. You describing it gave me goosebumps.
0: I'll let the boys know. I'll let them yeah, know. Yeah. You guys know. Thanks
1: again. Yeah. Man. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese podcast.